This is Indigo Radio, deepening understanding and making connections. seeking to learn through engaging with others in our community and throughout the world. Indigo Radio is now based in southern Vermont, western Massachusetts, Morocco, Atlanta, Georgia, and Seattle, Washington. Indigo Radio is a project of the Spark Teacher Education Institute based out of southern Vermont. And this is Anna Milani for Indigo. And today we air an interview that my co-host Josh and I did with Reverend Kiana Jones of Atlanta, Georgia. Reverend Jones is a community organizer and activist who speaks with us about what is known as Cop City in Atlanta, where the movement stands today, the Georgia International Law Enforcement Exchange, and making important connections between Palestine and Atlanta. Thanks everyone for joining us. Reverend Jones, thank you so much for being with Indigo Radio today. We're really honored that you're gonna sit down with us and talk to us all about Atlanta and Cop City. I think I just would love to start with you introducing yourself, and I know that you were also born and raised in Atlanta, mm -hmm. and so yeah, if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself. My name is Kiana Jones. As you mentioned, I am born and raised here in Atlanta, Georgia, East Atlanta, to be exact. I am a community organizer and an activist. I 
uh, fancy myself, I'll say I fancy myself, a woman of the people, you know, somebody who believes in the intersectionality and everything that we do, and that there's no way that we can fight for one thing without fighting for all things that affect us in our daily lives. When we talk about social justice, we cannot leave out climate justice. You know, climate justice is social and racial justice. That's reproductive justice. That's economic justice. That relates to health care. That relates to child care. All of those things are intertwined. So I am a person that really believes in making sure that people understand how all things connect when we organize in movement. And we're really centering this show today on Cop City, what's known as Cop City in Atlanta. And also we really want to talk to you, which we'll get into later, but about the connections with Cop City and what's happening in Gaza and to talk about the Georgia International Law Enforcement Exchange. But I think where we want to start, I had mentioned to you, a lot of our listeners are in the Northeast. And I have found when I was teaching out in Massachusetts, a lot of people didn't know what Cop City was. So I think what we wanted to have you start is to talk about the Wilani Forest and give us some historical context. I know that Atlanta is known as a city in a forest. Could you tell us about the area and, and sort of some historical context about the forest? Absolutely. So the Wilani Forest is something that I have always known from the time that I was born here in Atlanta, way, way back in 1979. Um, In DeKalb County, we know that as Entrenchment Creek Park, years later, of course, we've come to know it by the Muscogee name, which is Wilani. We like for people to understand that the reason why Cop City is such a struggle here is because of the history of the Wilani Forest. First, the Wilani Forest, also known as the South River Forest. Uh, Wilani People's Park, also known as Entrenchment Creek Park. That whole area is a part of what is known as the South River Forest here in Atlanta. The South River Forest is known as one of the four lungs of Atlanta, which gives you an indication of how important that tree canopy is to the city of Atlanta. It also encloses and houses the South River as well as the South River watershed. The South River is one of the most polluted bodies of water here in the United States, but it is a very vital part of our water system here. It is the headwater of the Altamaha River, which is the largest river in the state of Georgia also. And the South River watershed is vital to DeKalb County when we talk about our water system here in unincorporated DeKalb. The history of the land goes back, as we know, many, many moons. And we start with the land being occupied by the Muscogee Creek people. They were originally displaced from the land and sent on the Trail of Tears by the Indian Removal Act in the 1800s in favor of a plantation, by the way. So Native Americans were displaced from this land for it to become a plantation where Black bodies would now be enslaved on the property, would work, would be abused, would suffer all types of atrocities on the land. And then the history goes on to where this land actually becomes the site of the old Atlanta prison farm. So you have a a land that is the property of indigenous people, but this land becomes a symbol of torture for black and indigenous people. 
after the old Atlanta prison farm, you still had police activity on the land because the land became the property. And I will say not even the property, but it was stewarded by the city of Atlanta previously where they built a training facility on this same land. Also, the firing range that was built with the original training facility is still there and still in operation. Now, I was a little girl when that training facility was in operation. I actually have a relative who trained there who used to be a member of the Atlanta Police Department. And what I will tell you is that the land, although expansive and although Constitution Lakes Park is on the other side and there's a lot of walking trails on the other side of that land. No one wanted to go there when I was young because people were just afraid of police repression. We knew that the firing range was there. We knew that the training facility was there, but it was not a welcoming space. So when you hear people like Mayor Andre Dickens or even the CEO of DeKalb County, Michael Thurman, talk about the fact that, that entrenchment creek park was neglected and it wasn't used they have no one to blame but themselves because when the city of atlanta closed down that previous training facility they left the land in shambles neither the city of atlanta nor the county of DeKalb tended to Wilani as we know it it was the community that came together when people began to bike on the trails starting on the other side from Constitution Lakes, people began to cut bike trails through the land. And as people came more for the bike trails, people began to walk farther from Constitution Lakes. And then people came over to Wilani to see what it was. And it was the community that came together to begin to clear out space, to tend to the land and to make it a place where we could actually commune together. So while DeKalb County might like to say, oh, we boast this huge area of green space for residents and they didn't take advantage, that's really a fallacy. It wasn't usable green space. There were even old prison records that were still left on the land. There were pieces of the old prison farm structures that had not been torn down and were now overgrown parts of cells, jail cells still there on the land. And who's going to take their child walking on a path through that? Who is going to want to go and sit in a park where your bench is actually the bench of a jail cell? No one. So it was not that the city of Atlanta cared about the land. It was not that the county of DeKalb cared about the land, it was neglected. And what I'll also say about the history of that land is that because it lies in Southeast Atlanta, which is also in unincorporated DeKalb, which is heavily black and has always been, we have been the target of environmental racism since I can remember. The pollution of Entrenchment Creek, of the South River watershed, even of the land, there were landfills that were there that were open in operation in the 80s and early 90s. Those landfills are since closed, but they are still there. So we still have methane gas that seeps into the land and into our water. We still have the remnants of lead from bullets from the firing range that seeps into our drinking water. We still have air quality 
that is much less than what you find in other parts of Atlanta simply because that land has never been valued. It has actually been designated by the city of Atlanta as an area of low priority. Neither the city of Atlanta nor the county of DeKalb has ever made significant investment into East Atlanta, which is in South DeKalb. And now that they have decided to do something, the very best that they can do is a training facility that would take away 381 acres of forest land and replace it with concrete and building other structures for militarized training of police that would further pollute our air and our water. Great. Thanks for all that. It's interesting listening to you too. Some of that history is familiar with some of the reading I've done, but certainly not a lot of actually what you said. I like the, the details of that. So thank you for that. So I'm in public health and one of the, my, my background's in intimate partner violence and, and health of women, but particularly right now I'm working on women who are pregnant and use substances. And I'm sure, you know, the black maternal mortality rate and then the mortality rate in Georgia, I believe is the highest in the, the country. And I was at a conference around Georgia and maternal mortality rates. And I will say everything that you just said was missing from that conversation, honestly. Cop City never came up. Like militarization never came up. There was like maybe a bit about environmental racism. And certainly there was stuff around racism and, and women, Black women's health. But there was a lot missing from that conversation, I thought. And, and interesting, like being in Atlanta talking about it too. Yeah, I think people miss the connection between reproductive justice and over-militarization of police. We already live in a society where Black women are severely criminalized. Let's take it from the time that we start school. Black girls are punished more severely in public schools than any other demographic. Studies show that children commit offenses at the same rates across races, ethnicities, all of those factors that we consider when we identify our children. The children are just doing what the children do. But when it comes down to punishment, Black girls will be more severely punished than anyone. And it goes back to centuries old adultification of Black girls. We treat Black girls as if they are full grown adults with full agency. But this is because this was done to us since slavery. This was done to us from the time that we were made to bear children for our slave masters. It was done to us from the time that we were taken and experimented on. When you talk about the founding of gynecology, and you talk about obstetrics and that particular practice of medicine, you have to make sure that you read medical apartheid and understand that Black enslaved women were taken from medical experimentation without anesthesia. And this is where we get that age-old idea that Black women don't feel pain the same way others do. It's not that we don't feel pain, but we were made to endure pain because there was no recourse for us. There was nothing that we could do about it. So even if a Black enslaved woman screamed as she was cut without anesthesia, it didn't matter because no one was coming to her rescue. I find it, even in my own daily life, short anecdote, I don't go to massage spas anymore. I don't get massages because 
even in a place where I'm supposed to be able to have my body tended to for relaxation, people see me as a person who doesn't feel pain. I find that the people who run massage spas are very rough with me. And I even found myself lying there in silence when I was in pain. Why? It's generational. It's something that's innate. I couldn't even understand it when it first came to, into my realization. But then I began to think about it like, why didn't I tell this man that this hurt when he squeezed my shoulder this way? Because I'm supposed to take it because I was raised to take it. Because when you talk about what slavery has done to us mentally, and you talk about how as black women, we raise our girls to be tough and we coddle our, our boys, it comes from slavery because slave masters would take a black enslaved woman and rape her while her husband watched. And they would beat the husband and make it so that the husband could not even defend or protect her. So now in my mind, my husband can't protect me. And if I have a son, I have to try to protect him. But I have to raise my daughter to be as tough as nails because she's going to go through a lot in this life. Mm -hmm. All of those things factor into the concept of Cop City and what that means to a Black neighborhood when you talk about over-policing. And when we talk about the fact that putting more money into policing has never made anyone's neighborhood safer, but the terror of policing, the terror of policing in that it does not prevent any type of community violence to have police in your neighborhood. It does not prevent the interpersonal issues that will come up in community, but what would mitigate those things, community resources and wraparound services are the thing that are going to be withheld in place of this police training facility that is often said is needed to boost morale. Why would you need something that's going to boost morale more than you need to provide resources in the communities that you are supposedly protecting and serving. Mm -hmm. The types of contradictions that we hear when we talk about the need for Cop City and the necessity for Cop City, but people overlook the effects and what that means for healthcare and for childcare. Childcare is reproductive justice. Healthcare is reproductive justice. We cannot go on talking about these things in silos because they are all intertwined. Mm -hmm. yeah. Reverend Jones, I, I wanted to ask, I really appreciate your explanation there. I think it does a really great job of, you know, historically tying this moment to what people have experienced. I'd love to to hear from you about what Cop City is in its in its structural form. What is it meant to do? How is it supposed to look in, in the organizers of Cop City's eyes. Love to hear that. Oh, in the eyes of the organizers, this is a state-of-the-art police training facility that is going to cost more than $90 million to the taxpayers of the city of Atlanta, but they would love for you to believe that this facility is going to be absolutely beautiful because there will be one acre of land that will be a public park and there will be community rooms for community organizations to hold gatherings and for residents to even have things like baby showers and wedding receptions as if you really want to go and have a wedding reception in a facility where they are training police 
in military fashion. Cop City structurally would literally be little Gaza in the United States. Mm -hmm. So as we think about what's happening in Gaza right now, the Israeli occupation forces built a mock city called Little Gaza, where they actually go in and train. It is equipped with mock houses and other structures that you would see within a city. But the Israeli occupation forces use that to practice their military operations against Palestinian people. So Cop City is the same type of model wherein, aside from that building that's supposed to have nice community rooms and space for community organizations to come and have meetings, you're also going to have an actual mock city that is complete with neighborhoods, apartment building, you know, a structure that might represent a school or a church or whatever. You're going to have a mock city right here in the city of Atlanta where police officers will train in urban warfare, where they will practice drills like they did about a month ago They'll practice raiding hotels. They'll practice raiding mm. apartment buildings. They will practice doing things that you would never think would really need to be done in a city because those things are kind of not necessary. They're practicing the type of military operations that you would expect from the army, from the Navy, from the Marines and the Air Force, from any type of militarized organization. Oh but I forgot the police are now militarized. They now in the state of Georgia, as of 2020, the state of Georgia had over 2000 individual pieces of military surplus equipment. And the city of Atlanta in particular receives the bulk of that equipment. So when you hear the Atlanta police chief say, we don't have tanks in the city of Atlanta, that's a lie. I've seen them. I used to live right behind Wilani and I saw a tank sitting on Boulder Crest Road across from McNair Senior High School. There's a tank sitting across from a high school. Structurally, Cop City is supposed to be as intimidating as the police are to black neighborhoods. Cop City also represents a level of repression that we haven't seen. When you think about the fact that this is a black neighborhood and you have McNair Senior High School that is full of black teenagers, but you wanna build Cop City right there. What is that symbolism? What does that say? Aside from the fact that Atlanta is already the most surveilled city in the United States with the help of Motorola and the Atlanta Police Foundation, what that says is I'm watching you and you better not get out of line because I came here just for you. Structurally, Cop City is a symbol of oppression. Structurally, Cop City is a symbol of economic injustice, environmental injustice, Cop City being built where it is in a neighborhood that's never been the recipient of any type of economic impact funds, but now you're willing to spend the money to put this in our neighborhood. You aren't willing to spend the money to put a new grocery store or a new shopping plaza or any type of thoroughfare for the residents to enjoy, but you'll put this here to remind us what our place is and where we should be. You'll also put this here to continue destroying the quality of air that we breathe, the quality of the water that we drink, 
and the quality of the land that you're now taking because what used to be an expansive green space would now be concrete structures where you're going to continue to practice murdering innocent people because the Atlanta Police Department since 2020 has had a really bad track record with interactions with private citizens and violence from Atlanta police officers against private citizens has gone up significantly since 2020. So there is a lot that Cop City is structurally, but what it is not structurally is anything of benefit to the community. One of the things, just real quick, and then I'll pass it back to Josh, is one of the things that really struck me in an interview that I was listening, you were being interviewed. You talked about your son and noise pollution. Mm-hmm. And the, re- the reason it really struck me is, again, because of the children of Gaza and the the noise and the just terrifying things that they are seeing and witnessing and just me listening to reports around that. Could you kind of talk about that connection and the impact on children? Oh, definitely. So that existing firing range from the original training facility that is still in operation is in operation 24 hours a day. So families who wake up right behind where they're trying to build Cop City, wake up to gunshots. They go to bed to gunshots. When they're making their children's lunch, they're doing it to the serenade of gunfire from that firing range. When I first moved back to Georgia, my husband and I found house to rent right behind Wilani. And the first time I heard gunshots, I was a little bit shaken. And I, I asked my husband, you know, are we sure that the neighborhood is still the neighborhood? Because this is not something I'm used to. And we were thinking that perhaps it was coming from one of the local apartment complexes or people riding up and down Boulder Crest from 285. We just didn't know. But what we found out from a neighbor was that the firing range was still open. And I couldn't believe it because I knew that the original training facility had been closed for quite some time. But my son's room was situated so that when the gunfire would begin, it sounded like it was right outside of his window. So at night, when those gunshots were going off, and my son was supposedly going to bed, he would jump up out of the bed. And during the day while I'm homeschooling, we would also hear that gunfire. And it's to the point where even to this day, if my my son hears a loud noise, he'll hit the floor, he'll try to hide, he'll cower behind me for protection. But it's really disturbing because not only did it keep my son from sleeping, kept my son from concentrating. And when you think about the fact that McNair Senior High School is on one side of where they wanna build Cop City and Barack Obama Elementary School is on the other side of where they wanna build Cop City, we need to think about noise pollution from that firing range, but also what that constant gunfire does to the psyche and the mental activity of our children. So when you're hearing constant noise, it increases your levels of anxiety. When you have elevated levels of anxiety, you cannot concentrate. If you cannot concentrate, you cannot think critically. And now let's talk about these standardized tests that our children are subject to that the state loves to talk about when they talk about how minority children are not performing as well as their white counterparts. Well, why is that? Because you're not trying to put this facility in Alpharetta. 
You're not trying to put this in Buckhead. You're not trying to put this in Sandy Springs. You're not trying to put this anywhere in North Fulton County, but you'll put it in South DeKalb where Black Daniel is expendable, but White Daniel can't bear that. And you would not dare put that near Heritage High School, but you can put it near McNair Senior High School because you're not invested in the success of the students coming out of McNair Senior High School because that is one of the places that you're grooming people for the school to prison pipeline. And you do that systemically and systematically and think that people won't see it because, oh, it's just a training facility. So you mentioned the the firing range and, and previously the, the mock-up town. Where are we at today with construction and further projects? And I'd love to hear, too, what groups are doing, um, what actions groups are doing or involved in right now to, to sort of curb the further development of Cop City. Right now, we know that there is concrete being poured. I do believe that there was a, the latest propaganda video, I believe, was put out yesterday showing that they are supposedly replanting saplings in uh, on part of the land where they're trying to build Cop City. I do also know that in as much as the Atlanta Police uh, Foundation, the Atlanta Police Foundation is very much invested in showing people progress and trying to show people how far they've come and how soon you know things will be done with Cop City. They are severely behind schedule on the construction of Cop City. And that is due to the efforts of organizers and activists here in Atlanta on the ground, people who have come from other places to help us to thwart construction. Every Friday, we have Forest Fridays and we do a picnic and picket at the site of where they wanna build Cop City. And we go there just so that we can cause a delay. We don't go onto the private property. We don't disturb anything. Everything that we do is legal. It is a public protest on public land. However, we go so that these people don't forget that we are still fighting against Cop City. You have people who are actively involved in divestment campaigns. Divestment campaigns have been a really huge part of our movement where we are pressuring construction companies and insurance companies to back out of the project for Cop City because we know that these things are very harmful to our community. And then there are people who still engage in direct actions when they see people like Mayor Andre Dickens out on the streets, they will bird dog him. They will ask him, they'll put him on the spot and ask him candidly about things related to Cop City, many things that he doesn't even have an answer for. But what we try to do is keep it in the forefront of people's minds that one, this project was done without the consent of the people, that people haven't had any, they had no substantive way to weigh in on this project. Also, that council went forward with this project despite community outcry against it. And that even though we have continued to show up at city council meetings and we've done calling campaigns and writing campaigns, the city council of the city of Atlanta and the mayor continue to ignore us. And more than anything right now, we need people to understand that we took a legal route and filed a petition to get a referendum on the ballot and that even when you try to engage in direct democracy through an election 
the mayor of the city of Atlanta is blocking every effort. The mayor is actively intimidating council members from introducing legislation that would place that referendum on the ballot. We did have two council members who were going to introduce legislation to do just that, two female council members, by the way, and they were intimidated by the mayor. And I will be, I need to be a little bit more correct in that. One female council member and one non-binary council member were going to introduce an ordinance that would place the referendum on the ballot for um, the next election, but the mayor intimidated them into backing out of what they were going to do. There has been just a really unprecedented level of threats and repression from the office of the mayor. I have personally spoken with people who are close to council members who have talked about some of the things that the mayor has done to intimidate these council members. But also there was a council member who made public some of the intimidation from the mayor as it relates to council members speaking up or just wanting to make sure that people can have a vote. You know, when people talk about Cop City here in Atlanta, it is pretty much known that a lot of people are split. And when you look at most of the surveys, you'll see that it's almost a 50-50 split amongst people who have been surveyed about whether we want Cop City or not. Being able to put this on a ballot would really just put that to rest, you know? People wouldn't have to go around with conjecture or just with anecdotes saying, you know, well, I talked to this person and they said this, or I talked to that person and they said that. If we put this on a ballot, we could put it all to rest. But Mayor Andre Dickens does not want to see that. And what we see right now is that the same people, these elected officials, many of them Democrats, all of them on the Atlanta City Council are Democrats, but the same tactics that they called Republicans out for a couple of years ago for voter suppression, they're engaging in the same tactics to keep people from voting on Cop City. And I heard you call this the, um, use this phrase, the Atlanta way, and mm -hmm. to talk about Andre Dickens, right? How would you explain that? Well, the Atlanta way is an age old agreement between the black misleadership of the city of Atlanta and the white supremacist infrastructure. And what that agreement says is that the black misleadership class will keep the rest of us black folks in line mm -hmm. so that we don't rock the boat and we don't disturb the status quo. And they will do that in exchange for positions, for authority, for elected office, and for them to be left alone, to be able to live in peace and quiet while the white supremacist infrastructure can go ahead and operate in the way that it has been operating. But for the Black misleadership class, they will be insulated and their families would be insulated. But we've seen this happen in Atlanta where Black elected officials will literally sell us up the river just to be in the good graces of those in power. We see it with Mayor Dickens and Governor Brian Kemp. Governor Brian Kemp is a Republican governor and has not truly done anything um, that's notable of record for Black people in the state of Georgia, but Mayor Andre Dickens is willing to follow Governor Kemp's agenda just so that 
he won't have to be the target of any backlash from the governor, from the secretary of state, from the attorney general, from anybody in the Republican party that is in power right now in the state of Georgia. So people in the black misleadership class will go along to get along just so long as they can keep their office. So Grows the Flame, a ballad for Torchiquita. Torchiquita was a climate activist and forest defender who was assassinated by the Georgia State Police in January of 2023 while peacefully defending the Wilani Forest. This is Anna for Indigo Radio. I had the pleasure of, of interviewing Reverend Kiana Jones with my co-host Josh Wyman. We're going to return to Reverend Jones and get into the Georgia International Law Enforcement Exchange. We want to um, move a little bit to this Geely program. I'm not sure if I'm mm-hmm. saying it right, but the Georgia International None Law Enforcement. None of us knows. <laughs> None of us knows it properly. You know, we just know that it's G-I-L-E-E, okay. the Georgia International Law Enforcement Exchange, Great. which is a program that has been in existence for over 20 years mm-hmm. it is run out of georgia state university ironically enough through the andrew young school of public policy it is a program that is a so-called leadership program for law enforcement officials and executives and there have been thousands of law enforcement officials from the state of georgia and other states that have trained through the Gillet program What is notable about this program is that they train with the Israeli occupation forces and people know the Israeli occupation forces to be highly skilled at hand to hand combat and to be one of the top militaries in the world, but also the Israeli occupation forces are trained to occupy 
and dismantle communities. And that is exactly what they are training our local law enforcement officials to do. The same things that we see on television, the way the Israeli occupation forces are decimating Gaza, this is what our officers are being trained to do. I don't see any scenario, even in 2023, where a local local law enforcement officer should walk around in combat gear. That should not be your daily uniform. You should not walk around with tear gas and a gas mask because what are you doing walking the streets with that? Do you anticipate something happening? Where do you anticipate needing tear gas? Where do you anticipate needing a military rifle? Where do you anticipate needing your Kevlar that you're walking around in or the tank that you're rolling around in? Why do we need armored vehicles on the streets of Atlanta? And mind you, you will never see those in Buckhead. You will never see those in more affluent white areas, but you will only see them in Southeast and Southwest Atlanta, areas that have not yet been gentrified. Well, I was just going to say it's interesting that this program, I had looked up on their website to do some more research on them, <laughs> and a lot of what I was hearing was... Um, sort of those talking points but you know in the in the flip there was a few you know interview not interviews but comments from people uh officers chief police who have gone with through this training mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. they mentioned how uh you know awesome it was that they got to do this this work with the iof and yeah one of the things that stuck out was this term community policing yes and i'd i'd love to to hear your take and and sort of what this idea I, I guess my question is, is like, what is community policing? Because a lot of definitions for that, I suppose. Yeah, it's a misnomer, honestly. When you think about the term community policing, as a private citizen, you might think about the community itself policing each other. Hmm. What law enforcement sees as community policing is putting officers into the community to build relationships in community so that there is more control over the community. But also they have this theory that community policing would help decrease crime, that community policing is going to help the image of law enforcement officers and that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard because policing in and of itself is inherently racist. The history of policing goes back to slave catching. Even today, policing is slave catching because prisons are legalized slavery. So when we talk about community policing, come on, let's be for real. All, the only thing that that means is that you want to put more police in Black neighborhoods to surveil them. When I heard that the city of Atlanta was giving back millions of dollars in funds for rental assistance and housing that was given to them at the height of the pandemic, I couldn't believe it, first of all, because in my mind, I know that there are a lot of people in the city of Atlanta who needed help with rental assistance and housing. But then when they turned around less than a month later, and announced that they would be putting funding into housing for police officers in the Pittsburgh neighborhood really, really raised my eyebrows even more. 
but that is one of those examples of community policing. I'm going to build houses in a black neighborhood. I'm going to displace senior citizens who can't afford their homes because I'll take them by eminent domain if I have to, or I will just put so many code violations on the properties where the seniors can't afford to pay because now they have tax liens and their taxes will be too much and we'll get the property anyway, but we'll take these properties. We will raise those houses and build new houses for police officers to live amongst the people, to surveil them, to report on the activity in the community, but what good is it going to do? What will it ever help? There has not been one example of so-called community policing from law enforcement that I've seen that's made the community better. When you think about the fact that officers have the right to, to do these um, traffic stops just based on the suspicion that you might commit a crime, right? You think about pretextual stops. What do you think is going to happen when you have officers living right there in the communities that they already over police. Think about the number of pretextual stops and how that might increase. And with these pretextual stops, most of the time an officer is stopping you in hopes of finding drugs, a gun. And if they don't find it, most times they'll plant it on you. But this functions as a chain of effects. Like it'll be a domino effect, this chain of events. What will happen is that the person is stopped. Let's just say they don't have insurance on the car. Now the car is going to get towed. You're not going to be able to drive your car. You're going to get a ticket. You're going to have to go to court. You have to pay a fine. But also you can't afford the insurance. So you don't have a car to get back and forth to work. You can't get back and forth to work. You can't provide for your family. You can't provide for your family. Another Black family that is without. And what might happen? Likely this person might turn to some sort of quote unquote crime in order to provide for the family. What does that do? Up another black body in jail, enslaved, just like we wanted. That is what community policing does. Thank yep. you for that. One of the questions we wanted to ask you is uh, about why I've heard many times movement leaders and activists within this within the cop city movement say this is not just an Atlanta issue. Could you talk to us about why it's important on a national issue, both also not only about cop city, but also understanding the connection with the IDF. You'll hear a statement of like from, from Palestine to Atlanta. Mm -hmm. But then I'll say, no, literally, literally yes. the IDF mm -hmm. has come and trained here. And so can you talk to us a little bit about the importance of really why we all should be caring about this issue. Absolutely. It's, it's not just an Atlanta issue. And I would encourage people, if they can, to watch the documentary Riotsville USA, because it talks about exactly why we have cop cities. They are built and maintained to quell protest movements. Riotsville USA centers around a lot of what was happening back in the 60s and how with uprisings of people, the government saw that they were going to have to make structures and that they were going to have to implement different strategies to put down these protest movements. And that's exactly what Cop City is about. 2020 saw this country in a way that many people never thought that they would see it. And it scared the bejesus out of the establishment. 
It literally made them afraid because people got together and showed them what people power can do. The government does not want that. The infrastructure does not want to implode upon itself or be torn down by the power of the people. And this is why Cop City is not just an Atlanta issue, because now there's a proposal for a Cop City in Nashville. There's a proposal in Newark, New Jersey. New York already has things going on. Seattle, Oakland, California, Hawaii defeated their proposal, but Baltimore, all over, even around Clemson University, there is a proposal for a little cop city. And why? Because the government wants to make sure that people don't think it's okay to stand up against them. They have literally criminalized dissent. When you think about, like I said before, Little Gaza, this is what they're trying to do in the United States. And that same Israeli occupation force is doing the training. So when you think about Atlanta and Palestine, Cop City to Palestine, look at what we have in common. The same oppressors, the same systems, institutions, and ideologies that cause oppression here in the United States are right there in Palestine. The, the aggression against Palestinian people is rooted in anti-Blackness, just like racism is here in the United States. When you talk about the fact that Israelis don't even see Palestinians as human, the stripping of humanity and lack of empathy for Palestinians is the same thing that we as Black people experience here in the United States, especially when you talk about policing. Think about displacement and what that does to a people. We've seen that happen here in the United States, but we're seeing it happen like we've never seen it before in Palestine. And think about the people who are affected by these things, right? So when we talk about Cop City and all the things that are interconnected, all the intersectionality, Cop City is an affront to queer people, to disabled people, the same way that even in Palestine, disabled people, when you look at the snipers, the Israeli snipers, they're maiming people. What does that mean when you think you have the right to maim somebody? And what does that do to people? Police officers here do the same thing. Police officers here since 2020, when people were protesting in the streets, are likely to shoot you with rubber bullets those things will maim you. When you think about queer people and the framing and disregard for them as less than human, queer people are treated horrendously in prisons in the United States. Not that anybody is treated well, but queer people especially are treated as subhuman. And when you think about the issue of climate justice, you cannot bomb a whole town and think that their environment is okay. The same way you cannot cut down 381 acres of forest land and think that the environment is okay. What happens when these bombings occur? What is the quality of the air? What happens now with the land? What happens to the water source? The way that water was withheld and cut off from Palestinian people, I equate it to the pollution of the South River. It's the same, whether you cut it off or you make it so polluted that you can't drink it or use it. It is the same thing. Bombings, tear gassing, 
where people in Palestine can't even breathe, you're cutting down 381 acres of trees in Atlanta and we literally can't breathe. The connection is inherent. When you think about also the fact that what Israelis are attempting to do in Palestine is the same thing that, I won't even say Republicans, I will just say some people are attempting to do in the United States, erasure, the erasure of our history, destroying of archives, historical artifacts, wanting to destroy any type of history books that tell the truth about black people in the United States, that tell the truth about slavery in the United States. We see the same thing happening in Palestine. When you talk about segregation, think about segregation in terms of a border wall. Look at how much emphasis here in the United States is being placed on a border wall. But look at how Palestinians live and what they have to go through to even cross over into parts of Israel, even if that's where they work. Relate that to redlining. Relate that to certain zoning laws that were meant to keep people segregated. The connection is undeniable. And then, more than anything, let's think about the criminalization of children, how Palestinian children are never seen as innocent. Black children are treated the same way right here in Atlanta, right here with the building of Cop City, you're building it near schools. What does that say to our children that they are never innocent? You cannot deny those connections when you talk about freedom, when you talk about liberation, when you say from Atlanta to Palestine or from Palestine to Atlanta, it is the same thing because what they're enduring in Palestine is what we have been enduring in this country, particularly with repression from the state since protest movements have increased because we are trying to combat police terror, because of the fact that police don't wanna be held accountable and government is making it harder and harder for them to be held accountable because police were never meant to protect or serve people. They only protect and serve capitalism. Literally, they are meant to protect property and capitalism is what drives this economy, but this government also. This is the reason why people don't wanna give up their seats in Congress because they don't wanna lose the kickbacks. They don't wanna lose the perks. They don't wanna lose access to insider information with stocks. They don't want to lose money. And that all goes back to property. So when we think about it, Palestine, an occupied land, all of this over land, cop city, police have shown that they are willing to murder over land. You see that in Palestine, but you saw it here with the murder of our comrade Tortuguita, 57 bullet holes into a body that was simply sitting with their hands raised, 57 bullets, why? Over land. These connections are the connections that people have to think about when you talk about what it means to say stop cop city and free Palestine. They are inherently connected. We can't deny the connection. And until there is freedom in Palestine, 
we really will not stop organizing, mobilizing, strategizing, putting people in the streets, making sure that we disrupt the status quo as much as possible. We won't stop until we see a free Palestine. It made me think as you were talking of that, that like beautiful mural of George Floyd in like on the wall. Yes, with yes. The that that's both like it's so beautiful it's so heartbreaking it's like inspiring mm -hmm. it's like all of this together and like yeah very long history of the black u.s and palestinian yes. solidarity yeah yes absolutely as we kind of start to wrap up here is i i guess first i would love to have you talk about where do you pull your inspiration and, and energy from and sort of with that like what gives you hope mm -hmm. to Go ahead. Okay. Well, all of my inspiration and all of my energy comes from the memory and the guidance of my grandmother's ancestral spirit. My granny made her transition earlier this year in July, but from the time I was a little girl, my grandmother always told me to fight for my people. She always told me to stand up for what's right and to never be afraid to tell the truth or do the right thing. She also told me that I could do whatever I wanted to do because as long as she had breath in her body, she would make sure to take care of anybody who messed with me. But knowing that my grandmother raised me to be a person to stand for what's right and to never see someone around me being hurt or treated unfairly without speaking up, that's where my energy comes from. That's really what makes me go and go and go and what gives me the impetus what makes it so that I'll never quit it's all because of the love of my granny her protection her strength you know showing me and telling me all the time that I'm strong and knowing that I'm a fighter but what gives me hope is the fact that there are so many young people who are way smarter than I am who, who can think on a level that I might not think on but that have found ways to be so resourceful to do the work of liberation. That gives me all the hope in the world because I know that with young people in this movement who get it, who really truly get it, I know that we will see liberation. I know that we will see the type of society that we wanna live in and I know then that my children perhaps won't have to do the same thing that I'm doing because the young people who are working with me, who are coming up behind me, really, really do have it together in a way that I don't think people are really ready for, in a way that I don't think um, people can fathom because the things that young people are doing these days to organize and to educate are really key in keeping our movement going. Really appreciate that, thank you. What do you have to say to folks, state, local, national level, uh, about what we could do to get involved with this and support the Stop Cop City movement? Well, wherever people are, they can definitely contribute to the Cop City Vote campaign. CopCityVote.com is the website. They can find out about where we are with the referendum. They can also donate because we are still in court. We do still have legal fees to pay. We are still fighting just to get a vote on Cop City. They can also look at the Defend the Atlanta Forest website, defendtheatlantaforest.org. They can find out about solidarity 
events, copcitysolidarity.com. Um, they can follow on Instagram and I'm trying to think any other social media. I know Instagram for sure. You can follow Stop Cop City on Instagram. You can follow any Wilani Defense organization. Wilani Defense Society, I think, WDS. You can follow dissenters. You can follow SJP, Students for Justice in Palestine. You can follow community movement builders. You can follow the movement for Black Lives. You can follow a lot of different organizations, but definitely follow Stop Cop City on Instagram. Go to copcityvote.com. You can follow Defend the Atlanta Forest and go to defendtheatlantaforest.org and stop Cop City Solidarity, where you will be able to keep up with things that are happening. There have been a number of weeks of action that we do always promote. Also, Strike Black, S-T-R-I-K-E, Black, underscore, S-C-C, like Stop Cop City. You can follow that account as well for more information on particularly organizing Black people against Cop City. And we also share any type of events where we are linking solidarity for Palestine. Also, Black Alliance for Peace has a lot of information about the movement um, and BAP Atlanta in particular on Instagram is focused on Cop City movement efforts. Okay, great. We can spread that. Thank you. And I think also when you were talking too, I didn't know about um, the different proposals for different cop cities. Mm-hmm. And I think that that part of when you were talking all about that is so important too, because it's to sort of see how the forms are taking place in many communities, right? Mm-hmm. Like in, in, across the U.S. Yeah. So Reverend Jones, we would love to just end with, is there anything that we didn't ask you that you think we should know, or if there's anything you want to leave us on? I think you all did a very comprehensive interview. We talked about a lot of things. I would definitely encourage people to read more about the Georgia International Law Enforcement Exchange, because it is one of several um, of the same types of programs here in the United States. Also, um, the only thing that I would leave you with Yeah, I think I actually have already said it, but just that there is a long history of Black and Palestinian solidarity. And people have to understand that the things we see in the world that are a result of American imperialism are the same things that we deal with right here in this country as a result of American imperialism, which is fueled by white supremacy. So whenever people say, oh, we should just concentrate on what's going on here and take care of home that is what's going on here. That is what's going on at home. So we can't separate ourselves from those atrocities just because it's not directly in our backyards. I think about a lot of people, and I would say some people in my my own life that feel scared about what's happening in the world. And a lot of people have been, how should I say this? It's like a lot of communities, like maybe more well-to-do white communities, Mm -hmm have not felt that scariness. And now maybe they are like Mm -hmm. when it comes to say climate change or or certain things Mm -hmm. or the other pieces like like the school shootings 
um, is very scary. What would you say to people who kind of feel like they just have to turn away from it? They can't see it and they're scared of what's happening in the world. I would simply say, let this radicalize you, my dear, because this is the reality. Even if you turn away, it doesn't mean that it's not happening, but see it because this is someone's reality. And if this scares you, if it makes you uncomfortable, then good. Maybe it will cause a change. Maybe it'll make you have a conversation with someone that you haven't had a conversation with before, but let it make you look within yourself and ask, why are you scared? What about it scares you? Are you afraid? that it will lead to a society where your money is no longer going to make a difference between you and me? Are you afraid that if it's happening there, maybe it could happen here? And what if it does? Or are you afraid that this is only the tip of the iceberg and that there will be much more to come that you won't be able to insulate yourself from? Whatever the answers to those questions are, when you find out what makes you afraid, then do something about it. Great. Thank you for that. Thank you so much for spending this time with us. This is it's just so awesome to talk to you. I really, really appreciate you making the time for us here. Thank you all for having me. Thank you for considering me and for promoting the fact that we have to stand in solidarity with Palestine because this is not simply a Palestinian issue. It is an issue for the world. Absolutely. Thank you so much. That was Reverend Keanu Jones that you have been listening to. We want to give a big thank you again to her for spending time with Indigo Radio. And we're going to go out with a Reverend Jones request, Fight the Power by Public Enemy.
Oh, that's me. 